All right, everybody. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to our third and final panel of the day here at TBRCon 2021. Again, I'm your host, David Walters. For this panel, we're going to talk writing advice. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the discussion, I want to let my panelists introduce themselves. So, Adrian, we'll start with you. Hello, I'm Adrian Tchaikovsky. I've been going for a while now, although I still feel that I'm the new guy because I think frequently you always do. Uh, I'm probably best known for my novel about spiders in outer space called Children of Time. Uh, last year, I had a book out, Doors of Eden, which is my uh, most recent sort of great big book, I guess. <laughs> Stephen. Hi, I'm Stephen Iron. I write epic fantasy. I've had uh, two trilogies out with Orbit Books, and I've got a new duology starting with Angry Robot Books uh, this June with the first books called The Coward. Awesome. RJ? Um, hi, I'm RJ Barker. I, I write fantasy, and I'm on my, my fifth book, and, and I've, I've been around for th three years. <laughs> I don't know. That's no, not even forever. funny. Stop laughing at me. I'm just trying to work out time. You've been around for three years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I've been around for longer than that myself, but as a, as a, a known author. Um, but I've written quite a lot. I'm on five quite, quite long, long, but not as much as Adrian. I think I'm like one Demi Tchaikovsky <laughs> worth of, of writing. So, yeah, that, that's me. All right, Nick. Uh, I'm in, my name's Nicholas Eames. Uh, I have historically spotty internet when I need it the most, so it's already been cutting out fractionally on me here, so I apologize if it I blank out for a second. Anyways, I, I'm a fantasy author. I've written two books in a series called The Band, Kings of the Wild, and Bloody Rose. And I'm wearing a shirt that says, R.J. Barker is the source of all my woes. <laughs> Which you said to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I need a shirt like this. <laughs> all right, Anna. Uh, hi, I'm Anna Stevens. I'm the author of the Goblin Trilogy. Um, I debuted in 2017 with R.J. Barker and Nicholas Eames. Three years ago. Yeah. Um, and my uh, my new trilogy, The Songs of the Drowned, uh, the first book for Stone Knife came out uh, in November last year. Awesome. So you, so you debuted with RJ Baaka. RJ Baaka. <laughs> just for the people watching who don't know, they're making fun of me because I spelt my own name wrong. <laughs> Which, the worst thing is it's not the first time I just went to a convention and wrote TJ on my badge rather than RJ, so, got got right here, so. <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't have been surprised if you just come in it was just bob barker or you know just <laughs> bob um <laughs> so for the for the first bit of discussion since we're going to talk about terrible writing advice uh i guess that's what the panel really meant um i actually want to know what is the best piece of writing advice you've ever received and uh and steven i'll start with you Oh, okay, great. Nico <laughs> <laughs> wise one. Um, I think we need Miles Cameron for that. Um, the best piece of advice, I, I when people ask me what's the one piece of advice I always give them, this is the one I wheel out because I've had it said to me, finish the book. No matter what you're doing, how, how much of a struggle it is, however hard it is, finish the book. The number of authors I've spoken to in the past who say, I've got four projects on the go and I'm working on this and working that and they never finish any of them. Or they get caught in a loop around the 20,000 mark because they're trying to make it perfect, whatever that means. But 
whenever, whether you plan your books or not, when you start writing it, the thing at the end will be quite different. And you learn as you do it, you learn with every book that you finish. And that's the key thing, because I don't think any of us got picked up on our first book that we'd ever written. And it's all about learning the craft. So finish that book, learn as much as you can from it, and go on to the next one. So that's my my go-to best piece of advice. And I, I still use it myself, really. I'm going to write that down. Finish the book, you say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look to Nick. All right. Take <laughs> the book three, Nick. Just, just saying. Anna? Um, okay, so my best piece of advice uh, that I ever received was exactly the same as Stephen's. It was it was finished book. Um, so, but then he did also say that most of it, you know, most people don't get picked up on their first book, and I did, but only in as much as I had rewritten that book about twelve times. So, arguably it wasn't in any way the same book. It just happened to be about the same characters. Um, so so I kind of I kind of did, but also didn't get picked up with my first book, only because I'm so ridiculously stubborn that I refused to give up on my first book. And I was like, the world will see this no matter what. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I wore the world down and it happened. It happened, so, so that was good. Um, but that was literally my my also my piece of advice. However, what I did um, was I actually spoke to a few um, author friends and I asked them for their best and worst pieces of, of advice as well. Um, so I have a couple of others in case we ran out of anything to talk about. Um, so Foz Meadows, author of the Manifold World Duology, um, her best piece of advice was research, try your best, and accept that you'll never please everyone, which I think is very good advice as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I know uh, Catherine Arden on the last panel was talking about there's always that one person that's always going to pick one thing out of your book that they're just going to continue just kind of poke at. <laughs> and that That's the person that you don't have to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even they're going to be the, the most annoying you know, fly on the wall. That's the one that you're not writing for. So, um, Nick, what about you? Um, probably to, and this doesn't work for everyone by all means, is uh, it's just to read uh, contemporary work. Um, there's a lot of people who try to write a book and all they've read is books that, that were popular 20 years ago or longer. Um, and so I think reading in like, you know, what's being written nowadays is important to kind of know what you're up against and kind of how far the genres come in fantasy and sci-fi and how like how inventive you got to be and just yeah just in general it just helps you with you know sentence structure and syntax if you're trying to become an author and stuff like that so that would be mine adrian that's good um i oh some what <laughs> <laughs> almost guarantee you <laughs> That's my son's fault. Sorry, oh, okay. he, so, he left something down there. I don't know. It's a farm. He just kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is not so much writing advice. This is this is your self-edit advice, really. Um, it's go off and do something else, um, because when you finish a book, you may well have this this grand delusion that this is gold. This is pure gold. This is a wonderful book. And then if you sit down straight away and do your read through of your book, 
you will make, retain this this idea of how wonderful the book is and will not be critical about it. If you go away and do something else and then come back to it, you are having crossed that river a different person and you will start to re actually know there are problems with this book that need addressing before I let another human being see it. Mm -hmm. So giving it that gap to let you, to give you distance from the person you were when you wrote it is really important. Saving the best for last, RJ. <laughs> No, it, it, um, it's not actually my advice. Um, I stole it um, off an author called Chaz Brenchley, who's fantastic. Um, and he gave this advice to me. Well, not me personally. He kind of gave it as general advice. But I like to think he was talking to me um, at the time because it, it properly just like made me think, oh, all right, I can, I can do it then. Um, he, he just said, whatever works for you is what works. And, and I had it taped to the top of my computer for years just because... I spent so long reading every book on writing or reading writing advice and without fail, every single time I just froze and then didn't write anything for ages. Um, and when he said that, it was just like somebody flicked something in my switch and it just went, do, do your thing, RJ. And I did. And no one wanted to have anything to do with it for about 10 years. But <laughs> we, we got there eventually and I've just found it incredibly freeing that what works for you is what works it, it just allows you to ignore anything which holds you back and just get on with, with putting words, words down and I've noticed it says at the bottom of the screen you're in the show everyone can see and hear you which is making me quite paranoid <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that bit RJ don't worry <laughs> um, alright so <laughs> We're going to go on the complete opposite side. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? And Adrian, we'll start with you. Oh, God. Um, there's a whole, I mean, possibly I'm going to cheat a little, but there is a whole category of things you should never do in a book. You should never have a, have a book start with someone waking up. You should never have someone, a character, look in the mirror and describe themselves. And all of the, they're terribly well-meaning piece of advice, this general sort of category of small things not to do and like all absolute injunctions that you must never do a thing you can absolutely do them you just have to know what you're doing to do them that, i mean half of, the, half, of the, half of the chapters in children of time are someone waking up they all start with someone waking up it's the same person he keeps waking up throughout the book um but it's it's just that i the problem is you get the advice that's really it is potentially useful to avoid cliches, but then it becomes this idea of this is the cast iron thing that everyone must follow or it is not a book. So it's that attitude uh, towards advice. Sorry, Audrey. Sure. Um, the day I handed in the bone chips, um, Britt, who's one of the Orbit editors, had tweeted out, you should not start your book with somebody waking up and looking around and describing their surroundings sure. to you, which is exactly how the bone ship starts. Oh. And I'm just like, hey, it's gone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. Stephen? <laughs> um, following up for what? Adrian said, actually, yes, that thing when people say, if you're going to do a fantasy book, don't put dwarves in, don't put elves in, because it's been done to death. And it's that thing of, if you can do something new, then go for it. It's not an absolute. you know. But the worst piece of advice I've been ever given is write what you know. <laughs> it's it's, it's well-meaning advice, but if I just wrote books about a 43-year-old man, I think I'd have a very small window of readers that would really be keen on my life story and what I've been doing. But 
I think I know why people are saying it. I the think Aryan it's, Files. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's my crime novel. The genuinely is a very large subgenre of books that are basically middle-aged lit professors in a midlife crisis, um, really what really fancying young students. And I genuinely, I have a horror that that is actually people writing what they know. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary and quite worrying as well. <laughs> I think it's I think it's good meaning advice in that they say you shouldn't stretch too far. But if it's something that's really really sensitive and you're going to write about it, do your research. But none of us, I'm assuming, have ever been you know arrested or have killed people or have been in a, a war. And we all write fantasy books with weird monsters and all sorts of stuff. And it's just pure imagination. So my my advice is write what you love rather than, you know, the bad advice is of, you know, write only what you know. Yeah, I was about to say, because that, that was gonna be one of my questions is about <clears throat> write what you know and how in the world do you do that in fiction? Uh, I mean, you could you could take pieces of what you know and put it into a fictional world, but yeah. you don't know about a completely different world that you're making up. You just kind of are like, I'm gonna put these things in here and hopefully they all mesh and work together. Uh, but we, we talked about writing nonfiction earlier, and, and everybody's like, no, it takes too much research. <laughs> so you won't know about it anyway. I think a better version of write what you know is, is write what is true to you. Um, and that, that's a different, slightly different thing, because that, that's, that's finding what locks you into something and your experiences and unlocking them to make them make your thing work. So, And that is writing what you know. Is, is real for you, but it's not writing what you know, like the time that I actually rode on a dragon. No one would want to hear about how uncomfortable it was. Uh, and, 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 and hot. Really and hot. hot. Burns the inside of your legs. Terrible. Yeah. They stink. They stink of <laughs> Awful, miserable experience. Chafing, you know. Yeah. I think if you made it humorous, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now your editor might cut it out because they don't think it's humorous. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so would that be, would that that, be your, go ahead, Anna. Sorry, I was just going to say there is that um, that sort of slight correlation where um, certain authors, um, uh, in my experience, quite often female authors will get. I don't read female book, female authored books because women don't know how to write war. And I have had this one thrown at me a few times. Every female author I know has had this one thrown at her, that women don't know how to write war. And like you saying, write what you know or write what you love or whatever. I mean, I always just want to turn it back to the person who said that and said, okay, where did you serve? How many conflicts have you been in? You know, it, there's this, there does seem to be still amongst fantasy readers this idea that only certain people are allowed to write certain types of fantasy. Um, and that sort of, that that level of gatekeeping is, I mean, I'm sort of, sometimes I'm still actually very surprised that we still have it. And then other times, you know, you look at, you look at the world and think, actually, no, I'm deeply unsurprised that, that people still have these attitudes. But, um, yeah, it's when it's when it's when readers or like people in the community have a specific critique, 
that is that is very very like so i mean i had one years ago where um a guy said that there was no way that a <laughs> there's no way a woman could fight a dragon because she wasn't strong enough but a man <laughs> <laughs> And there was there was me and Anna Smith Park and Jen Williams. We were all on a panel, and we had this entire debate about the like the weight to strength ratio <laughs> for a woman fighting a dragon and a man fighting a dragon. And we're like, okay, so you're you're like what maybe twenty thirty percent stronger than us. That I mean, that's that dragon is resting right on the tipping point of whether or not it's in <laughs> You know, what if you get a really weedy man turner? Is he is he gonna be able to defeat the dragon? What if you get a really hench woman? It was just it was just ridiculous. So yeah, we sorry, were, uh, that was a wild tangent, but um and and uh Elena Boyden brought that kind of same point up. Uh she was saying that uh, one day she had a house party and dropped a fork on her foot and it, it made four marks in her foot, just dropping it. She goes, how in the world can a woman not stab a dragon? I mean, if it's sharp enough, it's going to go through. So <laughs> it doesn't matter how much force you're putting behind it. And uh, she's like, you know, if a toddler came at you with a knife, they're still going to stab you with a knife. <laughs> yes. Yeah, killed me numerous times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, cat weighs what five, ten pounds, maybe soaking wet. You know, three, forty pounds, maybe. Yeah, right through your arm, and you're, you're just bleeding all over the place. Just, you just, yeah. but no, it's it's this it's the same arguments that happen. I mean, I would say annually, but they usually happen two or three, ten times a year. Um, yeah, same ones you know that are in the book community every year. Uh, is an audiobook really a book? You know, kind of controversy <laughs> like that, but it's just because you you get that like one person or two people or a hundred people because they're it's always the same clan of people and they just like recruit somebody else. But it's that one person that didn't see the argument last year that has to start it back up again. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I don't think it's ever going to go away. Um, I feel like it's 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 getting better, maybe uh, it, you know over the last couple of years. But it, it, unfortunately, it's it you're still going to have that one person. Just like I was saying, you know, you're always going to have that one person that's like, you know, in Catherine Arden's case, she goes, somebody pointed out that this certain tree would not have been in that part of Russia. And she goes, does it really matter? <laughs> and I was like, no, because it's that one person and, and, and the other hundreds of thousands of readers didn't care about it. So, but yeah. That's a good thing for research, actually, why, why you don't actually need to put it all in. Because most people just don't care. I know it's. I got a very angry email that um, because in the bone ships are quite frightened that ship's catching fire. Um, explained to me how bone doesn't burn, and um, this was this was nonsense. And um, bone does burn actually. Um, but it, in the world of the bone ships, it definitely burns because it's not here. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. 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 you made it up. It could cope with the dragon. The dragons are fine, but the burning of bones. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't get my head around that. I just don't. It is, yeah. it is that it's, very. It's very. It's very telling on the person making the point as to where their personal belief will refuse to be suspended, yeah. and it is almost always a point that is actually factually nonsensical. Yeah. It's oh well, back in the Middle Ages, this would have happened, which is a 
almost certainly that is not true. And B, also all of these other things wouldn't have happened. B, and not picking on them. <laughs> and it's yeah, yeah it's it almost always a, it's a race thing or a gender thing or some some extension of a modern real world prejudice. No, I mean I think either that or it's just someone who really desperately wants you to pat them on the head and say yes, you've been very clever. <laughs> <laughs> They're not interested in the debate or anything like that. They just want to look. I, I I happen to have the I you know I didn't spend forty years reading Russian tree books not to make this point now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean you know so I can imagine somebody making the argument to RJ going the fire is just not hot enough to burn it. it it won't do anything RJ how in the world and then they then you also make the thing you know well the bottom of the boat wouldn't burn because you know there's water so. <laughs> it, it, it is actually a weird thing that the, even the oak ships are actually terribly hard to set on fire. Um, and then I'm, I'm not going to digress off into ships because I'll just get lost. <laughs> I'll just be talking about ships and rigging. But the, uh, my head is so full of ships. Uh, and 90% of it is wrong. And that. That's It's just full of ships. <laughs> Oh geez, um, Nick. What about you? What's what's the worst piece of writing advice you've ever received? Um, I would say it would be to never give up on your dreams, um, because sometimes you ought to. Um, and the way I mean that is that, uh, except for in Anna's case, obviously, I toiled away on a book for ten or twelve years that I thought was going to be the one, and I thought I was the exception to the rule you know, that not everyone gets their first book published. Um, and I just kept going back and trying to make it better and better and working with the same flawed foundation and trying to put a new skin on it, even though, you know, you can be a different writer one year, two years away. And I was, you know, a decade away from the person that began to write that book, um, a decade of experiences, a decade of reading, uh, and just the world was moving on. And so, finally, finally, finally going, I'm going to give up on this book and write something new was the best thing I ever did. And the only reason I have a writing career, to be honest. So I don't mean give up on writing altogether, but my God, that book that you think maybe is the one, just try something else. And maybe like like in Anna's case, you can hammer it into something uh, that that's going to get published, but don't be afraid to at least give yourself a chance to see if you've your voice has changed over all those years it, i mean it, it does it does bear saying that the very first draft of god blind was uh basically a high fantasy and it ended up being published as grimdark so you know voice did change quite yeah. quite dramatically shall we say um over over those 12 years um so it is i mean it is basically is the only it's only the same book in as much as it has the same names and the same broad plot but you know other than that i, I think you're right you know knowing when to knowing when to trunk a book is um is probably is a really valuable skill i, I yeah, am very much tricks before age of assassins sold i wrote a science fiction book which nearly sold and um this is what nick was saying i, I might I always decided I was going to finish the bone ships and go back to that and, and just sort of spruce it up. Now I've got a bit more of a name and release that because I loved it. Um, and I went back to it, started reading it, got about halfway through and thought, actually, this is rubbish. <laughs> 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 I, hate it. I don't, I don't want, want to publish this book. 
So you, you do <laughs> you do change massively in what 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 you like and what you do and how things work. Your and your writing voice becomes a different thing over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, I was leave, Sorry. No, I, thought you I was going to say leave your old self behind. Is it? Is it way <laughs> so I never went back to a book. Um, I would write a book. I'd submit it. I'd get nowhere. I'd write another book completely different and. So I'd written about 12 books but by the time one of them actually got somewhere. I did go back and then said, well, look, what can I salvage? And yeah, I'm, I've actually, I've managed to salvage, which basically meant rewriting mostly from the start, two, two of those. And the rest I got to the point where actually, no, this is so, so problematic and so filled with issues that there's, there's literally no reason to promote it above all the other things I want to write. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it's, and I guess actually here's, here's, here's another piece of genuinely good writing advice from, from that, that perspective is when I submitted those books, I thought they were brilliant and I'm looking <laughs> back at them now, I think actually these are not good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, that other person's perspective on a book, beta readers or, you know, pay, paying for an editor to go through or something like that is really useful and you're generally the worst arbiter of your own stuff. Mm. So actually, quite often your favorite child is your favorite child is the one that you had most recently as well. And it's worth keeping that in mind. That's why I love my cat more than my son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's worth keeping that in mind when you're thinking about your book is, is, is this brilliant? And, and, was it Adrian said he was about taking that gap? It's a really good, good mm -hmm. thing to do. We're giving writing advice on the bad writing advice panel. We should stop. We should start giving bad writing advice. <laughs> Write one draft and then submit it to every single agent in, in a uh, just follow don't, me. Don't now. read it or anything. Just, just, no, it no spell checking. No, don't hear about your own work. Just send it off. They the deserve the rawest version, the realest. Try to be funny. That's what they love when you try to be really funny in the in submission letter. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Bound to do don't that. even don't even give us a mission letter. Just just send the manuscript straight to the editor and put dear sir slash madam. Don't research their name. That's what they love. <laughs> oh, you get my concern. I think the only time I've ever looked back at old books is I've, they're all crap, and I didn't want to do anything with them. But I understood the core idea, and I was able to salvage that. Sometimes the actual story and the characters and everything were awful. But I looked at it and thought, what was I actually trying to say? And some of those ideas I've thought, okay, I could do something with that in the future. Completely different book, and no one apart from me would know that it was the same thing. But most of the time, as, as Adrian said, the other books were just crap. You, you chunk it, go on to the next one, chunk it, go on to the next one. And that's how I did for seven, eight books until eventually I got one published. And then that's it. They can't get rid of me now. Here <laughs> 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 to stay forever. Uh, somebody just asked what's the uh, worst or silliest sentence you've ever written RJ was right <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got <laughs> it's not a sentence but um, it, in Call of the Burn Ships somehow it made it all the way through to the copy edit that one character there's a bit where they go off characters split apart um and it turned out that one character 
was was in two places at once. I just no one no one picked it up. Just 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 that magic look. And I literally picked it up on as I was just checking copy edits and I thought, hang on. <laughs> Aren't you somewhere else? That's something you just backdoor in with time travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> magic. But but no, I... that's but that's I had I had one in the stone knife which I didn't um, I didn't pick up my copy editor found it for me um, uh, because I decided in my less than infinite wisdom that I was going to have um, two calendrical systems so we've got a solar calendar and then we've also got a calendar that follows the cycle of Venus um, so why. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? It's <laughs> the absolute bane of my life. Because <laughs> I'm like, because I've realized that, that they always talk about the position of Venus in the sky to signify how time is moving. But because Venus moves at a very different rate to the sun, it's like, so if I've said it's the hundredth day of the morning star then how you know does that actually mean it's april or is it november is it the rainy season is it night time it's like i'm done i i've got no idea what's going on so anyway so um so i had written something like um like 99 two, 200 cycles 200 star cycles ago basically was what I wrote. And it was supposed to be, I was referring to this historical thing that had happened. And my copy editor, um, like in the comment box, she, she'd done the maths and she was like, that was 5,200 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, they probably would have invented interstellar flight by now. <laughs> like the wheel. <laughs> so no. That's really not right. So that that was that was deeply embarrassing, and honestly, I was like, "Flowers, cake, whatever you want, I am sending it to you." Because that that was that was the worst thing I think, probably. Interesting. I, I was very careful throughout the entire bone ships to never be entirely specific about how long anything takes. Um, <laughs> And my copy editor has put through, it would give us a really good idea if we had a, a rough idea of how long this took. And I was like, ah, oh, no. Yeah. It takes an amount of time that the yeah. reader can imagine. Days pass. We don't know yeah. how many. <laughs> this is this is absolutely the right approach. I had from uh, the uh, my early Shadows of the Apt book, I got a four-page email from a reader explaining how my airships were too slow. They had calculations vast screeds of calculations um, explaining how you couldn't possibly take 10 days to get from here to here. And, and they were right. They were absolutely right. And I said, oh, very good. Well, you've been very clever. Um, and, <laughs> it was made and slow. It's fine. Yeah, and, and, and thereafter swore to never, ever mention specific distances or periods of time again, which I think I have mostly stuck to. Well, I really wish I had this conversation it, before it? writing my last book, guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're just in it. Yeah, sorry. Now I'm, I'm just drowning under calendar references. My own, my, my own really inadvisable stylistic choice 
was so in the in the children of time universe there are uh, in in the children of ruin and all there are humans and there are humans the latter being a capital H human because they basically had been modified in a particular way now as quite aside from the fact that I'm really, really pissing off my audiobook narrator at this point, there is literally no way of them to make this clear. Um, I also, oh, at the end of Children I had to go through, I had to literally search for every single instance of the word human in the narrative, which was probably getting on for about a thousand, um, and make sure they were all the right around, which most of them were not, because when I was writing the book, I wasn't thinking about it. Wow. <laughs> And I'm stuck with it's it now. That's, that's how series works. <laughs> I, it's the same in the bone ships. There's a whole race of creatures called the Glaim, who are bird mages. And then there's one of them, which is a specific one, but it doesn't have a name, which was a really good idea for the first one to kind of underscore how it was a slave species and people didn't really care about it. But the time you get to like book two and book three, when there's quite a lot more of them, you're just like, oh. God, I've got to differentiate. Uh, we ended up just sort of like the the Glaim usually gets a capital G um, by the end of the last book when it's kind of uh, earlier on it doesn't because nobody's quite sure. Am I right? <laughs> it's also the single and the plural is the same word. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. I have a really bad thing about giving people names that end in S, which. Just the most annoying thing when it gets to stuff that belongs to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Faris. Faris's knife. Just, oh, Faris's my poor knife. narrator. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nick, what about you? Uh, well, silliest sentence. I mean, I wrote an entire scene in Kings of the Wild where people have a fight while enduring magically induced erections. So that was pretty, that was pretty weird. Uh, and that was when I, when I first had my call with my agent, when she was, was taking me on, she said, I love the book, blah, blah, blah. This scene's got to go. <laughs> and I said, Absolutely. It's gone. Whatever you want. You know, I was bending over backwards and then I got off the phone and talked to some of my friends and I mentioned, Oh yeah, the boner scene's got to go. And they wailed and, Said no, you've got to, you've got to keep it. You've got to do whatever it takes. So, I uh, I went back to her and I'm like, listen, I've got a consensus of erection scene fans oh, here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I basically just adjusted. I took out a couple words like gestating. I think was important to remove, mm -hmm. um, and it made it in the book, much to some people's chagrin. Just <laughs> got a bunch of boner fans here that that really want to see in the book. And geez. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have gotten that far into it and been like, okay, I can tolerate. Okay, enough is enough. Not <laughs> 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 too far. <laughs> uh, Does everyone have a word that they overuse? Because I've just done my copy edit for Wake of the Bone Ships, and my, my copy editor brilliantly noted out to me said, in book one, you use the word, somebody, people spoke softly eight times. In book two, people spoke softly. 13 times in book two, three, people spoke softly 138 times. Do you think he may have overdone Whoa. this? Change some softlies with quietlies. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have, um, especially on my first draft of stuff, the number of people who look into other people's eyes 
and the number of people who laugh, it's like they look at you and then they laugh. I'm like, oh my God, can you do something else, anything else? You know, it's like his enemy laughed at him as he stared into his eyes. She loved him and she stared into his eyes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so those two, I, I use those like to death in my first drafts and then I have to go through and sort of consciously strip them out until there's only like the bare minimum of them and people do actually do other things with their faces and their mouths <laughs> <laughs> smiles are hard one because there isn't really people do smile a lot mm. and there isn't really a, a a different thing to use that doesn't sound like i've looked in a thesaurus but then yeah <laughs> I mean, the only thing close is like a grin, but at the same time, it can be sinister. So. Well, then, you, then you, you get into the kind of the vaguely Conan esque, the corner of his mouth twitched grimly, and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have used, I'm sure. He smirked slightly. Yeah. How? <laughs> Show me that, please. I definitely have words that I want to use more, like the word inexorable. You know, I wish I could put That's it in every single word. sentence. It's my favorite word that exists, but. Uh, so I can be like, I think it's in, like I know for a fact, it's in Kings of the Wild twice. And every time I would want to use it a second time, I would go back and measure it against the first and be like, which one's better? And so, I, so now, and it couldn't be, they couldn't be obviously within a couple chapters of each other. That'd be absurd. So one exists in like the second chapter and one exists in the second last chapter. You were definitely uh, going to use two though. It was inexorable. <laughs> Speaking of bad puns, um, no. Uh, what about Stephen? Do you do you have anything to add? Any any words that you've found in your books to be a little overused? Well, I was contacted by someone about my first book who said there was an awful lot of swearing in it. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this panel, but I but I won't. Uh, but, but the book, the first book, Battlemate, it's all about a war, and there's lots of soldiers in it, frontline warriors. And I've met squaddies, you know, frontline soldiers, and spent time with them, and they swear a lot. Like every other word, they swear a lot. And I, you know, I took an element of that, and I was contacted by someone who said, "Well, I've been in the army, and 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 my my unit never swore." And I thought they probably did just went you around because you were the one who had the tight heart. Yeah. So they were the ones who had the <laughs> Yeah, and I looked at, I went back and flicked through the book and thought, it's not that much swearing, not really. I swear more than day to day, so I've toned it down, if anything. <laughs> well, actually, I just finished reading RJ's The Bone Ships, which was phenomenal, by the way, RJ. Thank you. Um, but I did think you used overused the word bone quite a bit. It was <laughs> almost <laughs> every <shit>. page. <laughs> 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 yeah. You can't get away from it. Just... Yeah. Uh, so somebody, somebody asked a, a very interesting question, and and honestly, I've, I've got some other panelists and some other panels that have already talked about this particular beverage. But do you write better on coffee or alcohol? <laughs> uh, well, I don't drink coffee, so by default, in my case, alcohol. <laughs> and I'm the opposite of Anna. I don't drink alcohol, so by default, coffee. Or is there another specific beverage that you just have to have? I know, I know, some enjoy Vimto, which is very Northern English. Vimto, Vimto is it's my beverage of choice. Green I tea. Put Bailey's in my coffee, so both. There you go. <laughs> That's the way to go about it. <laughs> Caffeine, definitely. Uh, coffee. If I if I wrote drunk, 
it would just be a mess. So yeah, I, just... <laughs> I, I have actually um, I've been to like in the before times when we were allowed to go to places. Um, I I've been to like events down in London and stuff, and I've had my laptop with me, and mm. I've sort of out when people had a few mm. drinks, and then I've written on the train on the way home, and. You can literally see from one <laughs> sentence to the next <laughs> where I go from being coherent to everything is kind of loose. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's where the gin kicked in. Right, okay, we'll just delete all of that. Um, it, it's hilarious. It's literally like from there, there is fine. And then the next line is like just yeah. staring into eyes and laughing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you guys haven't got a magic boner. What's going on? Yeah, I wrote Age of Assassins on steroids. I just—I uh, was quite poorly. I was given a course of steroids, which is how I wrote it in six weeks. Because you just, just like go, I'm writing a book. That's what I'm doing. I'm writing a book now. Can do it. Uh, and that's what I did, uh, and it was really good. But. but Possibly I have several pressing deadlines, RJ. Tell me which steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just prednisolone was the steroid. So, so if you can fake something with your doctor, you will swell up like a massive baby, though. RJ, I do want you to write the book Age of Assassins on steroids now, though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so this one's uh for all the panel uh do you have a particular piece of your own writing where you knowingly bucked the popular advice of the day and got a result you enjoyed good question um i found out after i had finished submitted and had accepted my second book dark soul that you're not supposed to write an entire novel about a siege which I found out about six weeks before the book, which is an entire novel about a siege came out. Um, so, and I, I think it turned out well, <clears throat> but yeah, apparently it's like, it's supposed to be too, it's too exhausting for readers to just read like, in my case, 120,000 words of a, of a 45 day siege. And um, people were like, oh, you'll just be exhausted by the end of it. Your readers will be ground down. They won't be able to get through to the end of it. And I was like, oh, shit, too late because, you know, it's gone to print. Um, so it wasn't, it but it wasn't necessarily knowingly. It was mm. just I was always going to write it that way and nobody told me I shouldn't. So I, didn't. I found out, I think, two weeks before the Bone Ships came out that um, different writer friends said to me, um, people don't generally buy naval fantasy. Um, all people quite brave, and uh, and also it, it's a really brave decision to do something completely different from what you've done before because readers hate that. Like, oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to hear now. But, but it was fine, uh, and and to be honest, if I'd known, I didn't know that at the time. But if somebody had said that to me at the time, I would still have gone. Well, I'm writing it. Because <laughs> you write what you want to write, and that—that's sort of the most important thing. Otherwise, you get bored. I definitely had people that thought adding airships in the book was sort of mixing of genres, making it too steampunk or something like that. Yeah. And uh, or that thought airships didn't belong in traditional fantasy, and I didn't listen, and I'm glad I didn't. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I suspect that battle was fought and won for the airship lobby at some point prior to what the mid two thousands, I guess, because suddenly, I mean, airships and fancy now are all over the place. Yeah, but I imagine yeah, there must still be that kind of sort of very traditionalist fantasy readership that no, no airships, only elves. Yeah. I moved at a regular speed, of course, not super slow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I sent you an email. Yeah, want to take an airship? Actually, I'd rather walk. I got to be there. Pretty <laughs> 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 I don't have three weeks to Gallivant on an airship. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was honestly it was the waking up thing because I, I definitely heard that. Oh yes, you should never have someone waking up. And they said, well, you know what? I'm just going to do it, and then. To compound it, I'm going to do it all the way through the book. The entire book is basically this guy repeatedly waking up and looking around him, and that's going to be the book. And it worked out all right. So you know, yeah, that's it. I think you don't become a professional writer though if you're the sort of person that listens to what other people say, because all you hear (laughs) all the time is when it's not going to happen. Oh yeah, you're right. You, yeah, you listen to your editor. But just gen, some general advice: you you can't because everyone's just going. Well, you you know, it's like one in a hundred thousand likely that your book will ever get published, and that it is just constant. So you have to become the sort of person that's going out. I'm doing my thing. That's what I'm doing. Doing my thing. Sharp. I think for me, it was probably mixing genres because I kind of I think fantasy is a huge umbrella that if you if you put a sword in, you can kind of do whatever you want. Because what well, it's true to some degree, because my first book is blatantly a war book. The second book, Blood Mage, is a crime novel. Don't tell anyone. Um, because there's warring gangs, there's policemen, there's a serial killer. It's a crime book. The third one is a post-apocalyptic horror novel that you're more likely to read like Stephen King or Dean Koontz mixed with, you know, because there's things in there that come back from the dead and like a siege. It's like something from The Walking Dead, but there's swords and there's fantasy, you know, magic. So therefore, fantasy. <laughs> so it, I, I just ignored it. Someone says you can't put that in a fantasy book. Well, you can. You can. You just don't. Watch, them. <laughs> Watch me. Watch me do it. <laughs> Give it a sword. So, so who's the published author here? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, Stephen King. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> um, is there a scene, section, passage, etc.? When you're finished, you just look at it. And went all right. That's Ace. Besides the boner scenes. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I went back and did the final edit of the bone ships there's a scene in the bone ships where um six ships face off three against three um I, and when i finished it i realized i was holding my breath and that was the first time i've ever thought yeah that i've, I've got that i've nailed that uh, and it lasted about 10 10 seconds and then, <laughs> and then you know, like the next page you think yeah but i could do this better i'm sure i could but uh, that was a lovely feeling for the mm-hmm. moments that it lasted. Mm. Probably for, for me was when I, so I, I did two trilogies with Orbit and on that last book, I thought this is potentially, I'm never coming back to this world. So I have to tie everything together worth of six books of storylines and all the rest of it. And uh, so that was a nightmare, but when I'd finished <laughs> and I got the final draft back and I'm looking through it, 
and I'd read it so many times, and then like Adrian, I'd put it down and forgotten and come back to it and looked at it again. And I read how I tied up some of the story threads and the characters' arcs, and I thought, yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm I'm actually happy with how it's turned out. Normally, I'm never happy with what I've done. It's just been handed in, you know, because otherwise you're just constantly working on it forever. Mm-hmm. So thank God for deadlines. But I was happy with it. After all this time working on it and looking at where I started with that first book before I got published to write through all the all six books, at the end I got it and thought, yeah, all right, yeah, that'll do. That'll do, Peg. <laughs> And I, I'm currently going through the very, very final proofs of Shards of Earth, which is out um, <clears throat> middle of this year. Um, and it's always like pulling teeth with me at that point. I just don't want to read the book anymore. I've gone, I mean, <laughs> we've had a bit of a rush on the editing with this one as well. So I, I've read this, I've gone through this book with a fine tooth comb about four times in the last three months. However, there is a big space battle, which I am still still really keen on and if i'm really keen on it at this point i feel i must have done something right mm. awesome all, all those reads do count towards your reading goal adrian if it makes you feel <laughs> 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 um so i think we, I've, I've got um in blood child the concluding book of the goblin trilogy um there's kind of like tying up particular storylines and certain people live and certain people die and um things like that and there's there's like a, two sections that even now if i read it now it still makes me cry um one of them is specifically the epilogue um but yeah i think because i spent i spent so many years trying to get Godblind off the ground and then you know finally getting the opportunity to write the sequels and and see it all come together um the those characters have been have been part of my life for almost 20 years and um you know to to sort of finally end the life of one of your best friends basically <laughs> is um is still quite traumatic for me um, so yeah, so I, I still have a I still have a little sniffle if uh, if I ever flick through the last sort of few chapters of, of Blood Child. So mine's similar to a, a sad scene that I from Bloody Rose, pretty much the whole chapter, chapter forty three. Uh, and obviously, I thought it was pretty sad when I wrote it, but I, when I proofread, I have my brother with me, and we both do it together. Um, he catches me if I use inexorably three times in the same book, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Anyways, we were reading it and I got to the scene and I started just like weeping. And then about 15 minutes later, he's behind me and he started weeping. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm on something. I hope I nailed it as well as I think I did. Uh, so this one, this one's a little, little bit different of a, of a question, you know, probably it's not really, I guess, advice, but I, I've always kind of wondered this too, uh, kind of being a very novice writer. Um, what advice do you have about balancing your work with real life? So jobs, kids, I mean, exterior things outside of your of your writing career, and how do you form a necessary discipline to keep it going? I think that's a little bit like the advice, which can be good and can be bad, uh, depending on you as an individual, which is the right everyday advice that some people insist on. Um, I think, a better way of looking at that advice is set a writing habit 
that mm. you know you can keep up. So that might be um, I've got um, I've got a friend, uh, an Australian author called Leaf Shalcross, um, and her aim at the moment, because she has a full time job, is 500 words a day. And you're like 500 words that I mean you you know if those 500 words are flowing that might take you 15 minutes. If they're not, it might take you an hour. But it's not. It's it's a commitment that you can that you can have that you can probably aim towards. Um, so I think finding, finding a time and space around the rest of your commitment can definitely be done. I mean, even things like, um, if you have to commute, um, say you drive to work, you can just dictate into your phone and then on the weekends you can type it all up. You know, there, there's ways of doing it. If, if that's the only time that you've got is when you're driving to work, then dictate it um, and type it up at a later date. Or if you're on the bus, pen and paper, type it into your phone. You know, there, there are ways of doing it, but you have to find something that works for you. And if you try and commit to three hours a day, you know, hour before work, hour at lunch, hour in the evening, chances are, you know, if you've got the rest of an entire, you know, you've got a career and a family, you, you might not be able to manage that amount of, of commitment so just keep working until you find something that works for you would be my advice peter brett wrote all of the warded man on his phone when he used to commute on the train to work i think that's what he used to do on the underground so he wrote all of it on his phone every day he'd go home type it up into his computer and then work on it and he did that for, for months and months and months and years until he got the painted man so yeah it's finding finding uh, my my bit of advice was when, when I was growing up, and some of the others who are about similar age to me, there was, you couldn't really schedule TV. It was on when it, you watched it when it was on, and that was it. Now, because everything is on demand, if you've got a favorite show that you love that's on streaming once a week, instead of watching that show, go and do some writing. Rather than having to make a major sacrifice, like Anna says, and do, I'm going to do five hours every Sunday, every single week, and write for those solid five hours. You're probably not going to write those solid five hours. You might write every mm -hmm. 15 minutes out of those five hours. So rather than do that, just say, if you've you know if you've got family and and commitments and work and everything else, just say right this week instead of watching the Expanse, I'm going to sit down and and write, and spend that hour writing instead. And then you mm -hmm. can watch it the next day, catch up, and it's not the same. You have to have water cooler conversations because you had to watch it on that day, that show. Otherwise, it would be spoiled. You know, I guess you, people spoil things on social media now, but it's a case of take that hour, do some writing, watch the show later. So it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge sacrifice every time. So it's just small slices of time. I think, I think if you're a parent, you, you have to realize that you're going to have to make a, a sacrifices and make those sacrifices and buy all of your children a Nintendo Switch each because um, that, that will keep them busy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's brilliant. They don't really need a parent then, as long as you feed them occasionally, they're they're fine. Um, but more more, more seriously, um, if you only write ten words a week, it doesn't matter because if you're starting out and you're not under contract and you don't have a deadline, it ain't going anywhere. You you'll you'll get there. It, it's not like if it takes you five years or one year that. That that's your impatience. That's not 
it's mm. not bad to take a long time to get to a place. Do, do what you can. Doesn't matter. Don't feel guilty about not doing it either, because that, that that'll hold you back. Um, I found because I I wrote my first books when my son was very young that actually I quite like the distraction. It works for me, uh, and and being constantly distracted and stopping and going and doing anything. I found out later on this is called the tomato process. You work fifteen minutes, go do something else. That happens to organically come across. What? <laughs> but, but that, that, and I'm kind of quite a distracted person anyway. You might have noticed, but um, that. So just, just do it. You'll get there. Just keep, keep doing it, and don't stop. And eventually, you'll have a book, and then you'll be really surprised. Yeah, and it's not like being a professional athlete or a football player or something like that. You don't need to have made it by the time you're twenty. You know you. You can you can have your debut novel published when you're 73. It doesn't matter. Really, doesn't matter. Really that when uh, when RJ said when you're a parent you have to make a sacrifice. That I went to straight to sacrificing kids. You have to make a sacrifice. I do have a genuine um, a genuine kind of um, mental discipline tip actually that works very well for me is that when you're working on a project all the little moments of time between other things you can be thinking what happens next mm. when i next sit down to work to write this is the scene these are the characters this is where it's going and if you have that in your head it doesn't mean when you sit down you write you don't spend time thinking well what was going on should i rewrite reread the previous but what's you know what what am i doing you make the absolute most of the time you have. I mean, I've been in situations where I've had a full-time job. I've been doing amateur bloody dramatics. And if anyone ever has ever done that, you'll know how much time that eats. And I've had kind of family commitments and I've still been able to write. And I think one reason is at the back of my head that what happens next is always turning over. So it's like it's revved up. And as soon as I can sit down, I can go. I do think in, in this, it's like every professional writer I've met to some degree, writing is as much a compulsion as it is a job. It is something that they cannot stop doing. And for me, I am the laziest person on the planet, probably, but I cannot stop writing. I'm thinking about it or I'm doing it and and it's part of me and I get, if I don't, if I don't do it. Mm. And that, that might just be working it into a habit, I don't know, but it is kind of slightly obsessional for all of us, I think. Unless it isn't. No. There's always that caveat right at the end. Yeah. Um, so uh, fellow author and, and friend of the show, Jeremy Zoll asked, have you ever wanted to write something Hi, convinced you could pull it off? Uh, every book. <laughs> every book I've ever written, I'm like, shit, I don't know if I can pull this off. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think if you don't if you don't worry that it's too ambitious, it's not ambitious enough. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That that tends to be the way I go about it. I I would rather know that I reached and missed than that I just stuck to like the safe path and when I know exactly what I'm doing, I'm I'm just going to take the safe choice every every time. I was once touring in a, in a Egyptian exhibit in a museum and read something on a placard that gave me what I think is one of the best ideas I've ever conceived of. And 
I cannot write this book. I'm not the person to write this book. I'm not smart enough to write that book, but I'm not going to tell anybody what the idea was. <laughs> I become smart enough to write this book. You you so, will be buried with it like a pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, in my last words. You need yeah. to write it, Nick. Write it. Just do it. We'll see. And write it every day, Nick. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> It'll become a compulsion. Speak to a word. Oh, no. <laughs> I think trying trying to do something new and different with each book is is a a very very positive ambition, and I think it it is if you want to be a writer long term, I think it's probably a, an absolute necessity because otherwise you'll just go in a very small circle, and eventually you'll only be writing the same book. Um, there are certainly books I've written which have pushed that envelope a lot more. I mean, Children of Ruin very nearly broke because I was trying to get into the mindset of creatures that had a distributed mind. Um, so good, though. So good. Well, I, 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 I think it works, but it was really hard. Um, and the, the, the one after that is I, I possibly you know, tried to push it even further. I have no idea whether it's worked because, because you're not the, the best arbiter of your own work. So I'm waiting to see what my agent thinks of it. But, yeah, I mean, I think you you know you you kind of know when you're pushing more than at other times but pushing with each book i think you need to push a certain extent otherwise you go stale yeah i think it's I, what david bowie said that um with each piece of music he did he wanted to feel if you if you're in the swimming pool you've gone just beyond that point where your toes can touch the bottom and, and it's that kind of thing where if i'm writing a new book i want to feel like i'm just slightly on the edge i'm thinking yeah I'm not sure about this, but I'm pushing myself and I have to challenge myself. Otherwise, you do see people say they've read a book and they go, it feels like the author's phoned it in. You've mm -hmm. heard, I've heard that phrase a lot. And I, and I never want that with mine. I want to feel that people, you know, I was really trying because I am. I'm always trying something new to keep myself interested. As Adrian said, that's key and keep pushing. Yeah, there's, there's two thoughts that quickly follow on in my head. Uh, and that's I'll have an idea and think, well, that's ridiculous. And then it's immediately followed by, but, but could you make it work? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's when I know it's something that I'll, that I'll think. And, and I do, like, Nick, I've got a book which I desperately want to write, and I know I'm not the writer for it yet. But one day, one day I will. It's something I'm, I'm interested in, and I want to do it, but I, it, it's so radically different to anything else I've done. Or what I read that, that I'm having to sort of push into reading other genres so I could one day maybe approach it. But but we all have like all those things that you put to one side. Of you. But you steal my idea. The other thing. But I, I never I never think I can't do it. I never think I can't pull it off, even though I'm I might not know how I'm going to do it. It's a really weird sort of line that that I think you walk between. I, I can do this and. Oh my God! How do I do this? Uh, and that's where what you're doing is interesting and, and pulls you through it. I think, on me anyway. But I live my life like that. On Even the edge. Couch, yeah, on the edge. It's on the couch. I sit on the edge of the couch. <laughs> I don't know. I might do. This is just like I've got a drink on the chair arm there. That's crazy. I haven't got a coaster. No. On leather. That's me. Vimto on white leather. I mean. Vimto on white leather. That will stay. Good in. God. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, on the edge, RJ. Really. Metal. Metal. Mrs. RJ is going to kill you. <laughs>
Just wait for a cat to come knock it down. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, sat, he's sat on the windowsill out there looking in at me, and I can see him saying, it's raining, and you can see me. Why are you still sat there? <laughs> Why must you torture me so? Yeah. Um, so I've always seen this bit of advice, and I just want to just kind of touch on it. Uh, I've always heard you have to write for the love of writing. And every author I've ever spoken to when I talk about writing always sighs first and then goes, ah, it's going okay. Or uh, <laughs> it sounds so miserable. <laughs> so is it really enjoyable or is it just because I catch everybody on the worst part of it? <laughs> it's brilliant. It is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And it's the only thing I, I genuinely love that I could do. It's also the only thing I could do as well, which is a bit frightening if I, if I stop. But um, the, the reason that I think we do that is I, I'm always chasing the ver the writer of me that is over the hill in front of me. So whenever I, I read something back, it is, it's never as good as I think I could be. Uh, and that, that kind of... Oh, How's it going? It's all right. It is. It's not quite there. It's not what I wanted it to be. Uh, and I hope I'm never there. Going, it's brilliant, actually. Because what? Why? Why would I write another book at that point? I just feel like oh, it's brilliant. I've done it. Bye. Finished. That's it. Can you go play Switch? <laughs> yeah. So that's why. That's why. And sometimes it's hard and frustrating. But that's because you're trying to be really good at something. Mm -hmm. And and the joy in it for me is to. To feel like I'm, I'm I'm doing it right, but it's always fleeting, and you can always do it better. It's, it's really annoying, but brilliant, but annoying, and brilliant, and annoying. Yes, I <laughs> think brilliant. If you treat something, <laughs> somebody stop him. I think if you're writing every day, or you're treating it like a job, like any other job, there are some days that you really love it, and some that you don't. If you're doing it the majority of your waking day or, or you know, as many as hours as you can, if you work part-time and write part-time or even if you write full-time, there'll be some days you go into a job that you could love. Like if I worked in a zoo, I'd be brilliant. I'd love it. Work with animals, nothing dangerous, you know, nothing poisonous, small furry creatures. No, it's a cattery. If I was working in a cattery, I would love that every day. But there'll be some days when I just think, if I see another bloody cat, I just scream. Uh, but most of the time, I'd be brilliant. Stroking cats, feeding cats, playing with cats, looking at cats. But some days you'll think, enough with the cats. And it's the same with writing. Most of the time, it's okay. But every now and then, like RJ says, it's good. It's annoying. I'm always, I'm, I'm always put in mind of Wiley e. Coyote. It's like when he kind of runs off the edge of the cliff. And, you know, right, when you're writing, it's like you're running on air and you're going to get across the ca canyon. But as soon as someone asks you, how's, you go, how's it going? That's when he stops and looks down. Sounds about right. Nick, any thoughts? Uh, well, if you catch me in the morning, I'm usually pretty optimistic about what I'm going to accomplish that day. <laughs> and, Approximately, approximately an hour later, uh, I've realized that it's all going to shit. 
uh, life is shit and everything is shit. Um, so yeah, you got to get me at seven thirty eight, and then I am like raring to go. Best job in the world. I've got a really good tip for you, Nick. Don't get up till midday, and then you'll miss out all the bit where it's rubbish, and you'll just wake up with the bit where it's going to be good. Well, that's the problem with living five hours behind you is I wake up and I'm like, oh, fuck, RJ has written 2,500 words. The <laughs> day's over. <laughs> more Bailey's coffee. That's the only reason we post our daily word counts on Twitter yeah. so that when you come on, you're like, how many? <laughs> yeah. Do y'all keep up with daily word counts? Or do you just write until you feel like you've kind of accomplished something for the day? I just make them up to annoy Nick. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, I know, I know some, you know, some people were kind of, you, you know, y'all were talking earlier about, you know, if you have 30 minutes to set aside for the day, write for 30 minutes and it doesn't really matter because you're writing, but you know, do you, when you, when you get into a rhythm of writing books and Adrian, you, and David, you may be able to, to answer a little bit better, but you know, once, cause you'll, you've got a few more out, but once you get into a rhythm of it, you know, does it become, okay, I know I can get this amount done a day? Or does um, it matter at that point? For me, I don't do word counts. I try and finish a a section, basically. I try to get to the end of a chapter or the end of a particular sequence of events um, because that's just how my mind works. And then I will go off and my mind will start to think, all right, what happens next then? Because there's certainly there's a limit to how much I can do in one sitting before I kind of outstrip what I've thought through. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, I write do. between Go on, Roger. I write between fifteen hundred and two thousand words a day when I'm writing. But if I don't, I don't stress about it. I was like, oh, well. But but I don't this is the thing that's a, I think very different between me and Nick. I don't have any expectation of what I write to be good. I just presume it's gonna be terrible. And I give yeah, myself that permission. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to write a load of rubbish and make it good later on. So, and then at the end, I have a finished book, and I can go back and make it readable. Because my first versions are just basically read. So I type words backwards. So I I sleep. But if I'm tired, I write them in first person. If I'm not as tired, then I might write in third person. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, I, I don't put any pressure on myself to do that. And my my word counts on Twitter are, are for me. They're not. I'm not so kind of what I've done. They're, they're for me to look back on and think, well, you could do it yesterday, you idiot. Do it today. Hmm. I do. Just, <laughs> I have a daily word count just for myself for so then because I think about deadlines and I, I don't want to miss one ever. So I set a word count for a session when I'm writing per day. And I have a monthly target as well. And I know if I do this many across this many days in a month, I can get this much done and write a book in so many months. But I always give myself wiggle time to just in case something goes wrong and I have a bad day or a bad week and I can still get my hit the target. So that's why I'm just posting it. I keep, keep track as well. So I know like this month I'm ahead at the moment and I've got a few more days left. So if I want to, I could take the rest of the week off. <laughs> hang out like hang out with Nick. You know, <laughs> and I'm very, I'm very upset. You didn't, you didn't give Stephen the finger. You gave it to me earlier. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was going to say it depends. Um, 
my daily word count does depend on how close I am to deadlines or how many deadlines I might have at any one given point in time. Um, so at the moment, I, I do something slightly similar. I have like a vague idea of I need to write this many words. Um, I, I tried to do 2,000 words a day, and then I found that I was getting stressed out if I was only hitting 1,500. Um, so then I thought, right, okay, I'm going to switch it up and I'll do 10,000 words a week. And then that way, if I do 3,000 words on Monday, but only 700 on Tuesday, it doesn't mean I failed as long as I get to Sunday night and I've still hit my 10,000. It doesn't, doesn't matter what ratio on each day I do that as, as long as I hit that. Um, but I will only have those kind of hard numbers um, if I have got a deadline coming up. So, um, for example, I've got a book that I need to hand in on the 1st of March, um, and I finished the first draft of it about an hour before this panel started, um, <laughs> which gives me, basically gives me a month to read through it, go, oh, my God, what have you done? Um, and then rewrite about 60% of it, probably, because that is tends to be my writing process, which is write the first draft, go, what were you even th were you thinking you were not thinking quite clearly and then i'll just like rewrite all the all the shit bits um so i need to give myself like if i if, if my deadline is the first of march i need to give myself at least a month to um to to polish the shit bits so to speak <laughs> polish the shit bits <laughs> polish the shit bits um all right, so kind of, kind of last question I want to, I want to kind of touch on. Uh, a really bad thing about, you know, writing advice is about writing outlines. I know a lot of authors, yeah, so, some are all about it. They have to write an outline, uh, and then some are just like, nope, just gonna write, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, what are y'all's thoughts on outlines? And if any of you do them. How do you structure them? Do you write very long ones? Are they very concise? One page? Are they twenty pages? Uh, and Adrian, we'll start with you because I, I love I love the face you made when I said outline. <laughs> I, I, I may have misunderstood you. I, I was thinking of things like write, writing, you know, the, the the long summary of the book and things like that. Uh, I mean, I do plan, so I, I certainly I never go into a book without having basically a chapter by chapter breakdown of what's going to happen. Um, I'm on that end of that particular kind of axis. Um, but it is really, you know, it's basically a couple of sentences um, per chapter, really. And the whole thing would usually fit on a page or a page and a half, depending on how long the book is. So I, I certainly, what I, I mean, I've occasionally sat down and wrote, written something much more detailed to try and get my head around the ideas of kicking around. But I find that quite an excruciating process because I, I I vacillate wildly about how much detail you're supposed to go into at that point. I don't really have much of a setting between list of bullet points, 150,000 word book. Anybody else? I'm, I'm the opposite of Adrian. <laughs> I, I have a vague idea of some stuff that will happen along the way. I usually know the end, the end of the trilogy. I know that. So I know where I'm going, but I've, I'm, I'm in sort of the last six, seven, eight thousand words of a book that is not different. It's something I'm just doing for me, uh, and, and I, I'm literally finding out how it ends and who did what 
as I'm writing it, which is quite fun because you just kind of, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I set that up. That's quite clever of me. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't realize I was doing. But but it, it's all about what your mind is, is used to. My, my, my mind is used to working that way. But I, I do. It's a bit different once you've had your first trilogy out because your publisher, before they take on your next set of books, they want an outline of the first book and roughly what the second and third book are about. So I had to write those for, for the next thing that I'm doing and for the Bone Ships. But I have no idea. Well, the Bone Ships I've put in a five-page prose poem rather than a, <laughs> an actual outline. But, but, yeah, that's as much planning as I do is what goes to publish at the start, and then the rest is just me making stuff up to amuse myself mostly. You know what? I don't know if I just got got away with it or whether that's new, but I never had to do that. I think oh, yeah, that you just got that away is. with it. Yeah, you got away with it. That's just you, Adrian. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking back to you know, um, sort of like 2008 through 2010 when I was doing the chat. No one asked, well, all right, tell me about the next Shadow of the Outbook. Shadows of the Outbook. It was literally, there's going to be another Shadows of the Outbook. You know, it's going to be have people and insects. What do you care? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just that they think by the time they've asked you to write an outline for it you'll have finished the book anyway <laughs> yeah. you, are. you seem like a I've reliable got an outline? no but i've got a manuscript oh okay yeah. <laughs> i've i've had two sort of wildly differing uh experiences really recently because i as you know, as RJ said, I had to submit an outline for the Songs of the Drown trilogy, um, which I did and was accepted by the publishers. Um, I then uh, basically immediately threw it out because I, I wrote the first draft of the second book. I got to, I think I got to 110,000 words out of 150,000 projected words and realized that the entire novel needed to be set a year later in the timeline. Um, so I, I now need to rewrite that entire book uh, to set it a year later um, in my, and by a year, I mean a year in the solar calendar, not the Venusian not calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but then I'm also fifty-two thousand years later. Airships and laser guns. Slow airships. That calendar thing has made me feel so much better about my regret of writing ships and about how complicated they are. There's always nothing to what Anna's done. I got stuff wrong with blacksmiths. I feel fine about it now. I spoke to them and we're cool, but Jesus. <laughs> but, but then I'm I'm also writing a novel um, in a like in an established IP, and they have been like, give me a two page synopsis. Yeah, I was like, right, here's your two page synopsis. Right, tweak these bits, tweak those bits. Right, sign the contract. The contract has the synopsis added in the appendix, wow. and there is a there is a part of the agreement that basically says. Um, if you divert from the synopsis more than 10% or 15%, we reserve the right to cancel the novel um, or, or we reserve the right to have the novel completed by another author and you will not be credited for the work you have done. Ouch! That sounds like I'm not naming them. Oh. I'm not naming them. 
Um, DM me with who, so, who that is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so yes, yeah, so, so I'm kind of wrestling with my own synopsis and making sure that I can actually stick to it. So it's been interesting from like a discipline point of view and from a craft point of view to make sure that the synopsis I came up with was going to be something that I was going to be excited to write an entire novel about. Mm. Um, so I had to make sure that there was enough stuff in there that I really enjoy writing. Um, because I, t I mean, I tend to go off on tangents and, and drift away from my outlines because I think of something that is going to be so much cooler. And I'm like, oh, rubbish, let's go in this direction, which I, I'm like, contractually i'm not allowed to do um so it has it has been really interesting in just being forced to stick within that framework um so we will wait and see what the what the final version is um but um but yeah it, it's been it's been good to do and it's been and i, I do wonder if going forward i might adopt like a half and half approach where I do have a more detailed outline and I, and I do stick a little bit closer to it um, just because that's something that I've learned through through this process. Mm -hmm. What about you, Nick? Uh, well, I'm definitely a pantser along with RJ. Uh, I really, really wing it. Uh, with my first book especially, I think it it was a benefit. I would love to be you know more of an outliner and learn those skills and be more confident going into a book that I could A, hit a deadline, B, you know, no chapter by chapter what's going to happen. But uh, for my first book, it's very much the characters decide three chapters in that they're going, you know, they're currently at point A, they need to get to point B. Any group, everybody knows where that book is going to end when you're three chapters in. So I wanted to make, you know, every few chapters, I'd be like, okay, what do you think, what do I think is going to happen next? And then I would constantly go, okay, well then let's do something different uh, over and over and over throughout the entire book. So you know, if you think you're all, oh, we're going to have to walk to here, get an airship. Okay, now you're going to fly to here, airship crashes. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, I just try to, with that one, I think it served me well to mix it up and, and just be winging it as I went. You gotcha. Uh, so just kind of want to kind of want to end it there. Uh, I want everybody to take an opportunity to kind of talk about what they've got going on right now. Any upcoming releases, recent releases, um, and then kind of for anybody that has it read any books by you where they can start? So Adrian, we'll start with you. Okay. <clears throat> I've had two books out this month. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, this came out earlier. <laughs> <laughs> this came out uh, literally a couple of days ago. They're both um, sequels to earlier work. That's Bearhead and the Expert Systems Champion. Um, as to where to start, I mean, honestly, um, the one that most people know of mine is Children of Time. So that's probably the one that you'll, that if you run into any of my books, that's the one you'll run into. But uh, my personal favorite is Dogs of War, which is the one that Bearhead is the sequel to. Awesome. Stephen? Um, I've got a new book coming out in June. First one in a brand new series, totally new world called The Coward from Angry Robot Books. But uh, to start with mine, go back to the very beginning and start with Battle Mage and uh, and work your way through there. Keep you busy a while. Yeah. RJ? Um, I've got five books in the world. I've got the Wounded Kingdom trilogy, which is Age of Assassins, Blood of Assassins, and King of Assassins. They're like kind of murder mysteries in a kind of 
a recognizable fantasy world. And then my newest books are The Bone Ships and Call of the Bone Ships, which came out in November, which, which are beautifully modeling for me. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're, um, they're, they're based on a ship and in a very different world. And, and they're, they're kind of like my, my little pet project that I really wanted to do, and I'm, I'm quite proud of them. Um, and I've just finished The Bone Ships Wake, which is the third one, and that'll be out in September this year um, awesome. Nicholas uh, I'm writing a book called Outlaw Empire which will be out someday um, <laughs> and currently I have two books uh, Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose uh, although Bloody Rose technically takes place after Kings of the Wild they're both written to be standalone so everything that's ex you know explained in the first book is re-explained in the second and I've had lots of people start with Bloody Rose and go back to read the first so either one of them yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the my completed trilogy is the Goblin trilogy, uh, which is Goblin, Dark Soul, and Blood Child. Um, I've got uh, the Stone Knife came out in November uh, 2020, uh, which is the first in the Songs of the Drowned trilogy. Um, and I also write for Black Library. Um, I do some Age of Sigma Mortal Realms work for them. So I've got a few short stories and a novella, um, and I've also got a couple of other projects in the works for them. Uh, one of which should be out in autumn this year, I believe, but uh, that's the one I'm editing at the moment, so can't really talk about it. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, just want to thank everybody that tuned in, uh, and thank you all for the fantastic questions and comments. And then I'll especially thank my panelists for taking the time out of their day to come chat about writing advice and honestly, just about anything and everything around writing that has commuting <laughs> attempt at it. So, uh, but just thank y'all so much, and I really appreciate y'all being here. And um, everybody, make sure you read books by these authors; they're all phenomenal. Um, and uh, and yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll try to do this. Uh, in 2022. Well, thanks for having yeah. us. Thanks yeah. for putting yeah, us all together. I met and missed every one of these people on this panel, even RJ. So <laughs> <laughs> it is lovely to see you all, and I miss you all dearly. Uh -oh. Oh, yeah. my, my other half wants me to wave at you, Nick. Yeah.